Do you feel a little bit like the Grinch stole Easter? <laughs> we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. I would like to ask you, if you would, to open your Bibles. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15. There is a Bible app event for this. Get the Bible app. Uh, look for an event near you if you're in Kermansville, or just type in Kermansville Alliance Church, and you'll find our event there. 1 Corinthians 15 is where we'll be reading shortly. Yeah, Laurel and I were talking about how this just doesn't feel like Easter. You've probably felt that way yourself. It's missing that kind of social component that Easter has, going to church with family, having breakfast at your church with your church family. We do that every year here. And giving out candy, that's so fun. People give that out, love giving the candy to the kids. And the kids love getting the candy. And gathering together then with a family or with friends and and eating that big Easter dinner. Laurel generally makes ham, a ham roast. Uh, it's just so good, pork roast. Such good, good food. And she said to me this week, she said, I feel like someone has stolen Easter. It's a Grinch that stole Easter. And we laughed out loud because it's kind of like Dr. Seuss's story in more ways than one. Somebody stole Easter, but honestly, honestly, Easter is coming. Whether there's family gatherings, baked hams or chocolate, Easter is coming. How does that line from the Grinch go? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes or bags. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Can we say it this way? Maybe Easter, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Easter, perhaps, is a little bit more. Absolutely, it is. Absolutely. As much as I like chocolate bunnies, that's not what Easter's about. And as important as it is, eating that roast beast, Easter is about so much more than baked ham. And as much as we enjoy getting together with family, and as precious as that time is, Easter carries a greater joy than that. You see, Easter in the Christian tradition is about the resurrection of Christ. You know the story. That God came near and made his dwelling among us. And being without sin, Jesus was the one person who could pay for our sins. And sin's penalty, the wages of sin, death. And he willingly went to the cross and paid our debt. They buried him. They rolled a stone in front of the tomb. They put guards in front of the tomb. But neither the guard nor the stone nor death itself was able to hold him there. The tomb was empty because Christ has risen. I want to read selected verses from what we call the resurrection resurrection chapter in the Bible. It's 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to begin reading at verse 3 going to skip ahead a little bit, a couple times, so you'll have to follow along as best you can. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas and then the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me as one abnormally born, Paul says. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So let's move forward a little bit to verse 12 and continue with the scripture. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then 
Not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. For we testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Then all those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If it is only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now let's move ahead to verse 51, down toward the end of the passage. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed in a flash at the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable and will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When a perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and a mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That last verse. Hear it again. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your na- that your labor in the Lord, is not in vain. The resurrection of Christ, it speaks to us. It tells us most clearly that death is not final. I hate death. I absolutely hate death. Now, I understand that death can be a mercy, and I can remember when my mother, my aged mother, passed away. That's what she wanted. And I remember thinking when I heard, when Laurel said, your mom is gone, Steve. I thought, God, thank you for having mercy on my mom. Because I do understand that to be, to be absent from the body is indeed to be present with the Lord. But understand, the Bible itself says death is our enemy. In fact, one of the verses that we skipped, verse 26 of the resurrection chapter, says the last enemy to be defeated or be destroyed is death. You heard the Bible said, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Thanks be to God, he gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death is the enemy, but he's a defeated enemy. Death is the opposite of life. It steals, it cheats, it injures, it breaks, it wounds, it accuses, it infects. I hate death. But the main thing I hate about death is this. Death lies. Death claims that it has the last word. It does not. The last word, that belongs to life. Jesus, who is the life. Jesus, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He has the last word. He he said to his friend while standing near the tomb of her brother, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Death does not have the last word. 
Jesus does. You see, death is not final. There is indeed something beyond the grave, something good for the Christ follower. You did catch that in Jesus' words that I said a moment ago, right? It is whoever lives by believing in him that will never die. And when you turn your heart from yourself, from your sin, when you say the way I've been living is not right, I turn to Jesus. I believe in him. I trust in him and his death to save me. Eternal life. It's available to anyone who turns their heart to Christ. Oh, your body may expire. In fact, it almost certainly will expire unless you live until Christ returns. But even when this body concludes its tour of duty, there is hope for the future, hope for eternity. And hope brings power. It brings power to live well, power to move forward no matter what's in front of you. And if you have not hope, you have not power. Jesus, who embodies hope, acted the way he acted because of his hope. The Bible speaks to this. It tells us, for example, in Hebrews 12 and verse 2, that we should fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he says, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How did Jesus face the cross? How did he manage it? How did he pursue what was beyond it? Because of the hope he had regarding what would be accomplished. You can have hope. Look, I don't claim to know what you're facing, but I do know this. I know that for some of us, the crisis that floods the news outlets is the least of your worries. I know people who are facing a crisis that is measured in life and death right now. How do you respond to that kind of thing? How do you handle that kind of thing? The resurrection of Jesus tells us there is something beyond the grave. There is hope. Hope for tomorrow. Hope for eternity. Because death is not final. The resurrection of Christ tells us that hope we have is not foolish. It's not a foolish kind of hope. If Jesus had not arisen from the dead, then we'd be fools. We read that earlier. Where it says in verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But our hope in Christ is not just for this life. It is for the life to come, because Christ is risen. Being hopeful is not being foolish. Rather, I would say to you that resisting the message of hope, that's foolishness. That's foolish. If you've never read any C.S. Lewis, this is a good time to start. I read my first C.S. Lewis in fourth grade. I didn't finish the book because I was not a good reader then, not even a good reader now, but Lewis reads well. I read the Chronicles of Narnia in fourth grade, and then I read it as an adult, and then I read it again, and then I read it again. I've read it several times. That's a great place to start with The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. In that series, in the last book in that series, The Last Battle, it is called, Lewis has some dwarves playing a very interesting role. They refuse to believe in this false god that has been set up. That's good. There's a false god. It's good not to believe in a false god. But they also refuse to believe in the real God. And that's bad. They're not believing in anything. They're not going to get their hopes up about anything. And that's bad. Even when the good God (laughs) provides a great banquet with delicious food, the dwarves will not believe. 
They've chosen not believe. And there's nothing can be done for them. Lewis points out, they're fools. Resisting a, me- a message of hope, it is foolishness because of what it leaves you with. Stubbornness, hopelessness. Think about it. If I resist a message of hope, then I'm hopeless. Despair. It leaves you where you are. You see, hope is not foolish. Foolishness is actually asserting the non-existence of something. Now, let me try to to say that some other ways. Let me try to illustrate that maybe. This past January, my brother Dave gave me my father's 32 long rimfire rifle. I love that gun. I absolutely love that gun. But I've never shot it. I've never fired that gun. I never fired it because I was never able to find ammunition for it. Even when I was a little boy, I would say, how come we never use this gun, Dad? And he would say, we can't find any ammunition for it. They don't make it anymore. I want you to notice, I want you to notice what Dad didn't say and what I didn't say. We did not say, ammunition for that gun does not exist. We didn't say that. We didn't say, we have found indisputable evidence that there is no ammunition for that gun anywhere. We didn't say that. That would be a bold statement. It would be a foolish statement. It would indicate that we had searched from one end of the universe to the other and found conclusively there is no ammunition for that gun. We haven't done that. We haven't looked everywhere. In fact, now that I'm an adult, I found some ammunition for that gun. It's just way too expensive. It's too rich for my blood. What I want you to understand is that proving that something does not exist is very difficult to do. Because in this case, you would have to be omniscient, at least concerning ammunition for 32 long rimfire rifles. You would have to know everything there is to know about where that might be in order to conclusively say it does not exist. It's hard to prove that something does not exist. And that's the way it is with life beyond the grave. I probably cannot prove to you that there is life beyond the grave, but it is even harder to prove that there is nothing beyond the grave. Because you would have to go there, and you would have to say, I've been there. There's nothing there. You can't prove there's nothing there. But if you see the Bible as being credible, the portion we read can help you. It was right at the start. In verse 3 of chapter 15 of the resurrection chapter, For I received what I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried and raised on the third day according to the Scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. (laughs) If you see the Bible as being credible, then you can recognize that your hope is not foolish. Death is not final. Hope is not foolish. And the resurrection tells you that your life is not futile. It has meaning. I googled the phrase, life is meaningless, this week. And one of the top results was from the HuffPost. I clicked the link. Honestly, I expected it would make me very angry when I clicked the link. Instead, it made me laugh, that kind of sad kind of laugh. You know, a kind of caught off guard kind of laugh that says, wow, yeah, that's true. I wasn't expecting that. (laughs) That's kind of sad. 
The title of the article was Nine Facts That Prove That Life on Earth is Meaningless. I'm just going to read you one of them. Here it is. Taylor Swift has more Twitter followers than than the entire population of Canada. (laughs) What? Taylor Swift has more Twitter followers than the entire population of the country of Canada. That might make you feel like life is kind of meaningless when stuff like that is part of this life. But life does have meaning. Life is not futile. And the resurrection demonstrates that there is great meaning in the relationships and interactions we have with one another. I saw that this past Thursday evening. Thursday evening, a group of guys from our church got together on Zoom, a teleconferencing app, video conferencing together there. Here's the format. I say, welcome. uh, And I go one at a time right across my screen. What's your prayer request? How can we pray for you? What's your prayer request? How can we pray for you? Get the whole way through and I say, let's pray. Different people who want to volunteer pray for different people. And and then we're done. We hang up. But at the end of this one, when we got done, I just kind of threw a question out there. I said, so what are you guys going to do with the rest of the evening? And they talked. And they talked. And they talked. They talked about family. They talked about movies that they liked. They talked about the stay-at-home thing that we're going through right now. They talked about books that they were reading. They talked about loneliness. They talked. Why'd they do that? Because they have been deprived of interaction with one another and meaningful relationships, and they need those because those very things make life meaningful, and those very things remind you that life is meaningful. Life is not futile, and the resurrection shows us that. In fact, this resurrection chapter, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians that we read a few moments ago, it really brings home that that life is not meaningless, that your life is not futile in the very last verse. There's 58 verses in that chapter. And the very last one says this, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Now here it is because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And so these interactions you have with one another, these relationships that you share with one another, because there's a resurrection, those are not meaningless. They are intensely meaningful because those relationships, those relationships last right into eternity. Right into eternity. If you're looking for a good book to read while you're stuck at home, Get your Kindle out, and you may be saying, I don't have a Kindle, I don't like a Kindle. If you don't like it, get over it. Get get your tablet out, because Amazon has a free app that will run on your tablet. Get your cell phone out, your smartphone out, because that app will run there. Uh, One of the books that you might want to read is is a book called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. I'm going to be honest, when I first heard of this book, I was like, I don't know what Randy Alcorn can tell me about heaven that I don't know. Wow, was I humbled. Wow, was I humbled. He calls it, and this is such a bold statement, Heaven. A comprehensive guide to everything the Bible says about our eternal home. He is not far from wrong. He covers all the bases. And one of the things that stands out over and over again as you're reading this book is that we will be together in heaven and we will have relationships in heaven. And the friendships and the knowledge and the interaction that we have even here, that will carry on into eternity. And we should know that. We should know that from the read of the Bible that we have. We should know that for, for things like King David. When his, when his own son died, King David indicated, I'll know him in eternity. 
Upon learning of the child's death, David says in 2 Samuel 12, 23, but now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. I don't read those words as words of resignation, like, yeah, he's dead, I'll die too someday. (laughs) I think it's bigger than that. They're not words of resignation. I think they're words of affirmation that once we pass over to the other side, there will be a reunion like no other. Reunion. I am looking forward to that when I don't have to speak to you through the camera, when we can be here together. I'm looking forward to that reunion. But a bigger reunion than that? Wow. (laughs) The resurrection tells us that's coming. That's coming. It's kind of interesting to me. Pastors, many pastors, will tell you that their biggest holiday isn't Christmas. That's what you would think. They would say, my biggest holiday is Easter. Maybe not in terms of attendance, but, but in terms of impact. Because of what Easter tells you. Easter tells you that your death is not final. It tells you that hope is not foolish. It tells you that life is not futile. And all of these things are because of the cross, where Jesus died for our sins. You see, it was at the cross that Jesus satisfied the righteous requirements of God's law. He paid our sin. He took the outcome of the shameful things that we had done. And when you turn from your sin and trust him, asking him to forgive you and following after you after him, then your death is not final and your hope is not foolish and your life is not futile. If you've never trusted him, I'd invite you to do that today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful for Easter and the resurrection. We are thankful for the hope that it gives us. I pray if there's anyone here that listening that just doesn't know for sure that that they will experience the goodness that we've spoken about today. I pray that in their heart they would turn from their selfishness, turn from the the things they know they shouldn't be doing, things that they're embarrassed by, ashamed of, and that they would place their faith in Jesus who paid for all those things. They would trust him. And trusting him, may they know that their sins are forgiven and their shame is gone. And may they walk forward following you, finding a meaningful life in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, I don't know if anyone ever told you this or not, but Christ is risen. God bless you. Lord, this time can make us feel lonely and disconnected. There are moments of uncertainty and confusion, even fear and anxiety. But Lord, we know that you have given us not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And that your word tells us that you are our rock, our fortress and our deliverer. God is our rock in whom we take refuge, our shield and horn of salvation, our stronghold. That's what we cling to, Lord. We thank you for overcoming on our behalf. As we go to sing this next song, let's just remember the sacrifice of Jesus for us. The penalty that he paid to forgive us, to make us a new creation, to create in us pure hearts. Thank you, Lord, that you overcame so that we could be overcomers.